0: As we come to the Word this day, I'll remind you, as I frequently do when we come to the Word and we have the opportunity to have a guest speaker with us, it is not the man who stands in the pulpit, it is the Word of God that is the foundation. Might we look to the Word um, and hopefully see little of the man, but let us look to the Word. Uh, Brother Parker. So our text for this morning is 1 Timothy chapter three, verses fourteen through sixteen. If you go ahead and turn there in your copy of the Scriptures, First Timothy four a uh, three, fourteen through sixteen. And we'll be speaking today of the mystery of godliness, on the fullness of Christ lived out in the church, <clears throat> as we ende- endeavor to press in as believers into the fullness of Christ and holding fast to him, I trust this uh, meditation here together today will be an, an encouragement to you. Uh, since it's obvious that we in our just broader human society don't know how to live together very well, uh, <clears throat> I think we as believers, and especially in a special sense, conservative Christians have a real opportunity in our day. We have an opportunity to shine as light in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, which God has called us to. And the more we know Christ, the more we press into knowing him fully and living out the fullness of what it means to hold fast to him, I believe the more um, we will accomplish the mission that Christ has for us here. And so this meditation is just designed to Help and encourage you to build what I often call a counterculture of love. We need to be countercultural in our day, um, but we are against the world, so to speak, for the sake of the world it's a counterculture which draws out the love of God that was designed into his creation, which is manifested to us in Christ, which is given by the Holy Spirit and comes to consummation in the kingdom It's an effort to draw out that love in all of our relationships and uh to live in that holiness in Jesus Christ. Because truly, to live is Christ. Uh, <clears throat> but let me start here today, even before I, I read our text, uh, just with a con- uh, saying a mass casualty culture versus Christ. Even though we live, even though God's goodness does abound, it always does, we live in a culture of death and destruction and degradation today. Uh, in fact, just, uh, I can't remember which conversation I was having with somebody now, but uh, the, uh, the Columbine shooting was brought up in Littleton, Colorado. And that's sort of become almost an emblematic situation for what seems to happen all the time now, right? Right? mass shootings, uh, this very year, hearing about more shootings in schools. Uh, Everyone talks about these kinds of things, but few want to admit that our culture's idolatry is at the heart of our problem. We are a society that murders children by the millions. We surgically and chemically mutilate people. There's a vacuum at the heart of our culture, if you can call it that. It's an ugliness, a vacuum of authority. In fact, we live, if it were possible, in something of an anti-culture where the only accepted value is to be yourself, whatever that might mean. Uh, We talk about common values sometimes, or politicians appeal to common values, but when what you value is defined subjectively, how can there be anything common about it? We need true goods, not just values, which are good beyond what any particular person wants. And so in such a society, we have a great opportunity. And I would submit to you, Blaine Baptist Church has a great opportunity to build a counterculture of holy love. But we have to have a real sense of where we're going with this. We don't need copycat Christianity. And I know you folks are very aware of that here. Uh, But what I want to do today is just work on What does this look like? So I want to expound a little bit on this hymn or this confession that we find in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses uh, uh, 14 through 16. It says this, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Here we have uh, an early formulation, an early confession of the mystery of godliness. The mystery of godliness. Let me just talk about both those aspects, mystery and godliness. It might seem strange if you talk about building a counterculture of love to start with mystery. Uh, Can mystery really be at the heart of a culture of love? Well, I think that's exactly where we need to start. Because we need to start with mystery, uh, we have to realize that we don't have the answers in ourselves. We can't build a true culture off of our own resources alone. We need God. And we need God to reveal himself. In in ancient times, mysteries were the secret things of the gods. You know, the hidden and enigmatic rites and rituals. And in their confused condition, the pagans did get something right. We can't figure out the realm of the gods. That's what they understood. But the emphasis there always fell on unknowability. We can't know this. And they were right in a sense that we are dealing with the realm of the transcendent. We can't pretend to comprehend it. But amazingly in Scripture, when we start reading about mysteries and mystery, the emphasis always falls on revelation. Yes, there are things that are, un, are unknown, but God reveals. There's an unveiling. There's a making known. The Apostle Paul himself keeps using this word, mystery, um, just like the pagans around him would use the word mystery. But he talks about it in a different way. It's important to recognize that when he uses the word, we are still dealing with the numinous, the supernatural, something that is far beyond us, something we will never exhaust. But at the same time, God is making his will known to us. Ephesians 1, 7 through 9 says, "...in him," that's in Christ, "...we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ." He makes known to us the mystery of his will in Christ." The apostle will go on to say in chapter 3 of Ephesians that he was given revelation so that he could have insight into the mystery of Christ. To me, he says, verses 8 through 10, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone. It is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Pardon me. Uh, He will say something similar back in Colossians chapter 1 when he talks about the ministry again that God had given to him. He says in Colossians chapter 1, verses 26 and 27 that he is proclaiming the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the the riches of his glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, he will say. So he'll go on to tell us that in Christ are hidden all the uh, treasures of wisdom and knowledge so that no one will delude you with plausible arguments otherwise. Friends, the secret of this world, the mystery that we come to know that's at the heart of our faith is Jesus Christ. This is the heart uh, of it all. Jesus Christ really is the heart of a counterculture of love. But having said that, we need to learn that this mystery is not merely conceptual. It's also practical. It leads to something to be done. In other words, there is a right way to live, because Christ is the heart of a counterculture of love, because Christ is the heart of the mystery. And that's why the Apostle Paul describes it here in our text, coming back to 1 Timothy 3, as a mystery of godliness. Godliness is piety, devotion, reverence, religion. Um, and in English, that word godly meant what is like God. Uh, and so it became used to translate the Greek word because to live a life in the fear of the Lord is to become like God. It's to participate with God in his life, in his ways. And, and that's what religion is, by the way, folks. That's what religion is. It's a participation with God in his life, in his ways. That's why I actually push back sometimes when I hear Christians say uh, nowadays, I don't have a religion, I have a relationship with Christ. I think they're trying to get at something true often. They're trying to say, it's not merely formal things I do that have no meaning. I, I do the rituals and I, okay, I'm good because of that. They're trying to push back against that and say, no, uh, there's, there's something deeper than that to my relationship with God. And that's good. That's, that's all true. But I think if we leave it there, it becomes a half-truth. It becomes one of those things that we forget that there's an actual outworking of this relationship. That's what religion is. The two are not in contrast to each other. We actually do have a religion, and it's a revealed religion. It enabled us to participate with God as he shows his glory in the whole history of the world. And the heart of that religion is Jesus Christ, this counterculture of love we're talking about is Jesus Christ. So how is this culture, though? As Here's what I want to draw your attention to in this text. How is this culture upheld and supported in the midst of this present evil world? And the answer is, very clearly here, the church of the living God. If the heart of a true human culture is Jesus Christ... Then the fundamental institution for human culture is the church. I'm writing these things to you. The scripture says, so you know how how you ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and buttress of the truth. And it's on that basis that he says, here's this mystery of godliness we confess. Who upholds, what upholds that mystery of godliness? It's the church. Schools are not the fundamental institution for human culture. Universities are not the fundamental institution for human culture. Clubs of various kinds are not the fundamental institution for human culture. Governments, medical corporations, hospitals, sports teams, all these things might be good in their place as far as they go. These are aspects of human life together or human culture but, folks, the church is the house of the living God. The church is described in Scripture as the temple of the living God. What was the temple in the Old Testament? That was the place where God dwelt. That was the place where God met with his people and manifested his presence to them, where they could draw near to one another so they could share life in God. And where is that today? The church you are described in scripture as living stones in this temple. This is what your life is all about. Our text here describes the church as the pillar and buttress or ground of truth. You might say the very structure of human civilization depends upon the church upholding truth. I think for far too long, Christians have thought of the church as simply one more voluntary organization that people join if they want to. And that's exactly the way liberal society wants you to think about the church. Religion is something, um, in, in liberal societies, you are perfectly free to have your own private religion in your own heart, and your own life. Believe whatever you want. That's all fine. As long as that doesn't impinge on the public realm. The way we actually live our lives together. Now that's not, that's not what religion is for, according to a liberal society. Something is, religion is something between you and God, and it's purely voluntary. So think about how this works out in society. Human governments? Oh, those are essential. We have to have human governments, or civilization will not exist. Um, hospitals? Well, of course they're necessary to life. We we have to have them if we're to function well and really live a good life together as humans. Um, churches? Well, they're fine if they help you, sure. Uh, but that's not the scriptural perspective at all, is it? In fact, it's exactly the reverse. The church is the heart of it all. In light of Christ, the true fulfiller of mankind, we see the whole point of the church is to orient human existence beyond itself in this world to its true end in God. And that is what matters most about our lives because that's what you are made for. You are a human being. You are a creature in the image of God. Your whole fulfillment is going to come in the beatific vision as you see God face to face. It is God that is the fulfillment of your life and everything about it. And the church is the institution that points you there, that takes you there. Without that purpose, our lives are reduced to brute beasts. And when you reduce people to beasts, don't be surprised when they act like beasts. But let's draw out this thought of the church as the pillar and ground of the truth a little bit more. Just because I want to challenge our contemporary thinking in a number of ways. Does, the, does God say that personal Bible study is the pillar and ground of the truth? No, he doesn't, does he? Did the Apostle Paul go around planting Bible studies? He went and planted churches. Now, am I here today arguing against personal Bible study in any way? Of course not right? This is not a, there's not a conflict here. I'm not downplaying the importance of the scriptures or of personal Bible study. The scriptures are necessary. We're actually talking about the scriptures right now, right? But we're talking here about lived truth, godliness. We're talking about culture. You can print Bibles all day long, and it won't make a bit of difference unless the truth takes lived form amongst men. And how does that happen? The church. The church is the body of Christ. The church is the house of God. <clears throat> Pardon me, the mystery this world needs for its mass casualty culture is the life of Jesus Christ lived out by the church. The mystery of godliness. So let's reflect a little bit more on how that works. And for this, I want to draw a little bit from John chapter 1 uh, to show us why the Apostle Paul would say, here's the pillar and buttress of the truth. The church upholds this and then go confess a confession about Jesus Christ. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. This is the heart of our life, which the church upholds. Why does it work that way? Well, just a little reflection on that for us this morning. In John chapter 1, <clears throat> we read in verse 14 that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This one-of-a-kind Son of the Father, Jesus our Lord, is full of grace and truth. And I want you to note something here even as we enter into this text because this is what the confession in our text here, first Timothy 3, is telling us. We perceive the glory of the word become flesh. That's what we see, John 1 says. In other words, we perceive him as a man. And it is as a man that he is full of grace and truth. God's fullness is communicated to him in his personal union with the divine nature by the Holy Spirit. God, communicating all of who he is to the man Christ Jesus... Who is also God. Colossians 2 9, by the way, emphasizes the same exact point. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. That's why Jesus could tell Philip later in the Gospel of John, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. You are seeing God in the flesh. We need to ponder this point about Christ's fullness in the flesh. The abundance of God's inner Trinitarian life is manifested in the incarnation of the Son. God is the fullness of life. All the perfections of God's infinite essence are shared fully then within his own dynamic life as Father, Son, and Spirit. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand, John 3.35 says, for example... John 5:20 For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing This fullness of life and being belongs to God God is the fullness of life And amazingly this fullness is given to Jesus the Christ the abundance of God's truth and wisdom, the abundance of God's knowledge and power, the abundance of God's love and joy, the abundance of God's righteousness, justice, faithfulness, the abundance of God's mercy and grace. It's all communicated to Jesus as a man in his personal union with the divine word. But here's part of this mystery. Jesus as a man does not simply claim this fullness. Rather, the divine son is, empties himself, so to speak, by becoming man in order to then receive fullness. He humbles himself by becoming a man and obeys God even to the point of death on a cross in order to be exalted. He does not grasp equality with God. Instead, he receives fullness. So without trying to jump too far ahead of what we've learned here, we can stop to observe that Jesus is showing us the basic posture of how creatures receive fullness. How do creatures receive the fullness of God? At at the heart of all human relationship with God, and then hence the heart of all of God's world, is humility and receptivity. We have to receive life as a gift. That's the way it works. We don't have life in ourselves. We receive God's fullness as a gift. And that brings me to my next point, we receive. So we've seen his fullness, now we receive, we receive. Christ communicates God's fullness to us. Reflecting just a little bit again about John 1, what does it say? To those who received him, he gave power, authority to become the sons of God. To those who believe on his name. We receive from Christ. Christ communicates God's fullness to us. You see, we as humans are not joined to God personally, like Jesus is in the hypostatic union. He is the only begotten Son. But we are joined to him spiritually so that we can participate in all of his fullness. That's where our life comes from in Christ. We are sons in the Son. Knowing that Christ communicates God's fullness to us opens up profound truth that life is a gift in its deepest reality and goodness. It is a gift from God. That's what it means. You know what? You, as a creature, were designed to open up from the inside, as it were, to God. God makes you what you are so that you can in turn receive him. Receptivity is inherent in being a creature, and it's good. Dependence is good. Humility is good. Trust is inherent to being a creature made in God's image, and it's good. Do we sometimes not want to be that way? We don't want to have to trust about everything. We want to have some kind of control in in things, don't we? That's our our sinful selves here. But we were made to depend on to trust, to receive. Humility is right and good for the creature because this is the very way we receive God's fullness. We receive God's truth and wisdom. We receive God's love and joy. We receive God's righteousness and justice and so forth. And that means that all of life is a participation in God's life. He gives and we gratefully and trustingly receive in everything we do. We respond to his love and folks, this makes all of life a joy when we learn how good and how giving God is and we learn that we can receive and rest in his goodness. This is a, what, a, what a peace when we put aside our pride and our self-centeredness and humbly receive what Jesus says. What hope comes out of our self, uh, uh, when we come out of our self-protective fear. And open ourselves up fully to what God has in store for those who love him. Earlier I cited Colossians chapter 2 verse 9. Now let me add in verse 10. You heard that in Christ all the fullness of God dwells bodily. He receives as a man all of God and communicates that. Now listen to verse 10. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily... And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. God communicating his life, his fullness to us. And that leads me right back to the point we've been talking about here in this sermon today. Uh, We fill. We have Christ's fullness that we receive, but then in receiving that fullness, we fill When we receive God's fullness in Christ, we fill the earth with the grace and the truth of God. We become mediators in Christ. We take up this whole created order into worship of God and we communicate God's glory to the world. The church is the pillar and the buttress of the truth. Just think about even some of the physical actions that were taking place in our assembly this morning. We were just singing glorious hymns Do you realize what you were just able to do? You took air, some of God's created stuff, right? And you took that into you and in this body that God has given you, even with things like we call vocal cords and stuff like that. And you turned that into eternal praise to God. This created order just got taken up into spiritual reality in you, through you. You are filling the earth now with sound, not just wind, but sound. It's music that's praising God, which is what this world was made for. Why did God make air? And why did he make you to be able to breathe? So that you could take his life in as you breathe and give it back to him in praise. That's what we're here for. This is God's life being worked out in us. Now, for our purposes here, I want to emphasize this is not done only individually. It is done corporately. Individual and corporate are not contraries in Christ. What is personal is both uniquely uh, an individual and social at the same time without contradiction. To be a person implies to be in a community of persons. Uh, so where does this culture built on Christ, this community of persons, begin to work, be worked out in the world? Well, you won't be here, surprised to hear me say it's the church. Ephesians 1.23 says the church is his body. Listen to this. The fullness of him who is being filled all in all. What's the fullness of the outworking of Christ if Christ is all the fullness of God? It's his body. The fullness of him who is being filled all in all. The church then becomes the fullness of Christ in this world. We walk in Christ. We walk together in unity in the body, as Ephesians teaches us. We walk together in love. We walk together in the light. And when the church walks worthy of her calling, we begin to see a culture that fulfills humanity's true nature in Christ. A culture of humility and hope. A culture of faith working through love. <clears throat> Pardon me. We begin to really experience the church as the down payment of the spirit, the the foretaste of the life to come and the kingdom to come. <clears throat> Pardon me, folks. I hope that as a body here at Blaine Baptist Church, you are seeing uh, the tremendous opportunity that God has given to you. You look into a face of a culture of death, and you say, "What do we do about this?" <laughs> How do we respond in this world? And I say, you are the source. The body of Christ is the source of renewal, the salt and light of this world. You are how Christ fills this world with his presence and authority. You are how this world achieves its true uh, purpose for existence in being a body. So be the body of Christ. We're going to talk about this more this week, but let me encourage you, don't underestimate at all what you are as a body right here. You look to Christ, you love Christ, and then you live that out together in the church. Pardon me. You become the pillar and the buttress of the truth. So in closing, let me just exhort you to two things. First of all, if you're going to be the pillar and buttress of the truth, you need to live this mystery of godliness, this confession. You need to look to Christ. Things like this confession that uh, 1 Timothy 3.16 talks about, he was manifest in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taking... That has to be your, your, the pulsing heart of your life. There's a reason why this is in confessional form. <laughs> so you'll learn it. So you'll say it over and over and over again. This is a confession to be confessed. (laughs) This is a hymn to be sung. This is something to be loved and lived. Why? Because you're looking to Christ. That's what you're doing in this. You're pressing into the mystery of Jesus Christ, revealing God to us. You're enjoying it. You're loving it. You're, you're, uh drawing out of all of who he is and all that he's accomplished what it means for life. I love the words of Robert Murray McShane you've probably heard many times in the past but let me in- encourage you with him again. He says learn much of the Lord Jesus. For every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. He is altogether lovely. Such infinite majesty and yet such meekness and grace and all for sinners even the chief. Live much in the smiles of God. Bask in His beams. Feel His all-seeing eye settled on you in love and repose in His almighty arms. Let your soul be filled with the heart-ravishing sense of His sweetness and excellency of Christ and all that is in Him. In other words, you recite this confession of our text here, this mystery of godliness, as a confession of love. This means everything to me. That he was manifested in the flesh. That he was vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. And when that becomes your heartbeat, the real confession of your life every single day, then I'm telling you here, you are going to love to be the church. Because here's where this is going to be worked out in reality, in your relationships with one another. In your day by day living together as a body. And you're going to begin to delight in the church. When you think of Christ and all he means, you think of his mission and you give yourselves to it, you're going to say, The church is at the heart of my life. This is who I am. This is what I do. These are my people because this is Christ's body. We are in him together. I would challenge you with that. Look to Christ today based on this mystery of godliness. But then let that flow out of you, filled with all of his fullness. Let this body become a place where Christ's fullness is manifested for the glory of God. Let's close in prayer. Our Father, we confess this before you today. today. We say we believe this, but our desire now is to delight in it and to live it well. And so I would simply like to ask that you would enable Blaine Baptist Church to live out the fullness of Christ together as a body, that they would be delighting in you as your people, uh, pressing into the wonderful mystery of Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And as their love overflows in that relationship, it would abound in this body in the church and it would become a great light in this community of darkness. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.